Velo News listeners, this is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News Magazine, coming at you with another tech podcast. It has been a while. I apologize for the radio silence over what, like, I don't know, six months or so. But the, the good news here, guys, is that instead of listening to me babble for an hour straight, and uh, stumble through everything. I've brought in a second person to also babble and stumble over things for an hour. Uh, I am joined by a co-host. Yes, we've, we're, we're, we're stepping up in the world. My co-host is, uh, is Ben Delaney. Hi, gang. Hi, Ben. Uh, ben, um, your, your title here at, at Bell News changes about every other hour. Uh, what's your official title these days? So I'm editorial director for cycling. I've been fooling around with words and bikes for the better part of two decades now. Uh-huh. Uh, so playing with Vela News and uh, working with Bicycle Retailer, which is where I started out Whoa. many moons ago. Many, many moons ago. Well, finally, somebody who knows how to write is up in this place. <laughs> well, Ben, welcome to the Tech Podcast. I'm so happy to have a co-host and, uh, you know, for anybody who's listened to the Tech Podcast before, you, you know the drill. The drill here is basically we talk a lot about um, hot tech trends and things like that, which can be pretty uh, complicated. And so the whole idea here is to distill them down into uh, terms we can all understand and basically make it so that if you are going to, you know, make a purchase or make decisions about your gear, uh, you'll have a better understanding of, of what all this tech stuff is all about. And since it is now... December 2nd, and here in Colorado, it's already been winter for about six months. Uh, It's been snowing like mad. It's been cold. We've all been riding indoors, Um, which, you know, any any bicyclist will tell you, it's never all that fun to ride indoors. But in the last few years, it has actually become pretty fun and pretty interesting because there's been a lot of development uh, around indoor riding, both on the software side and on the hardware side. So today we're going to talk about smart trainers. And, you know, what, what are smart trainers? What, why do you need one? Do you need one? Uh, what will it do to improve not only your, your experience riding indoors, but also uh, your, your experience riding outdoors when weather warms up? So, Ben, you, you've been suffering away on many, many, many trainers lately. Uh, thank God it's you and not me. Uh, let's start with the basics here. What in the world is a smart trainer? Well, let's, let's back up a little bit. Oh, come on. <laughs> suffering away. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the, the, the game changer has been Zwift, mm-hmm. both in terms of the software and the hardware that goes along with it, and most importantly, the entire experience. Uh, it's gone from being a solitary uh, set of intervals you used to do on what we now call a dumb trainer uh, to something that feels, to me at least, a lot more like playing, um, and, and that has made the world a difference. If, if Zwift is essentially a video game style uh, riding experience, what do you need to, to enjoy that? And I think that, that really hinges on, on the smart trainer itself. Sure. So a smart trainer, uh, what makes a smart trainer smart is interactivity, uh, whether it's working on amp plus, which is the frequency a lot of cycling peripherals use, uh, like your heart rate strap or your power meter, or whether it's working on Bluetooth, which also cycling devices use, but uh, is native for your computers or your phone. Uh, the trainer responds to input from an outside source. Uh, something like Trainer Road will, will give you workouts uh, broken down in, in wattages. Um, and instead of having to f- kind of ballpark that and figure that out by shifting around and trying to hit that target, a smart trainer will just automatically set the resistance to that prescribed amount for the prescribed uh, length of time. Uh, similarly, if you're riding a virtual course where you're going up and down rollers, the smart trainer will react to that add resistance as you're climbing, and then back off resistance uh, as you're going down the other side. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's, let's, um, let's go back in time uh, before smart trainers existed, before Zwift. Now, Zwift launched in uh, October of 2015, so it's, it's still relatively new. Um, sure. Before that, you were still riding indoors in the winter. What was, what was that experience like? What, what were trainers like before that? I would ride, but only as a method of last resort. I think most of us would do that either when you were just absolutely stir-crazy uh, and or when you had a very specific target, like a race coming up in early spring that you wanted to get for, fit for. So you would get, in, get on, and the, the common coach uh, suggestion was, you know, never get on a trainer without a purpose because just riding along inside is the worst thing you can do to yourself. Uh, 
riding a trainer has been accused of many things. It's, it can be productive, but it had never been accused of being a fun or enjoyable experience. That's your reference to suffering inside. Because right. that's what it was. It's, it's like doing sit-ups or push-ups. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is a, an out, a physiological outcome, but uh, you never get fired up like, oh, boy, I'm going to go do sit-ups or go right. ride the trainer. Right. Um, so there was, it, was, it required a lot more uh, external motivation, internal motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, for... for for those of you who have been riding trainers indoors for a long time, you you know what it was like. It was staring at your you know your washing machine while the the music played, and you know you thought you were on there for an hour. You've been going for about ten minutes. It, it was not a, f- a super fun activity. It was basically maintenance miles. Yeah, we'd rent VHS or, or, or you know purchase VHS tapes of uh-huh. old races. Yeah, watch like the the ninety five yeah. Milan San Remo or something like this. What's VHS, Grandpa? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, so basically it was, it was a maintenance miles sort of thing. It was pretty uninspiring and it was last resort, but since 2015, when Zwift hit the scene and since trainers have evolved so rapidly and and, and in such a dramatic fashion, it has become its own sport almost. Uh, it's not just maintenance miles anymore. It's actually an activity that is, is relatively enjoyable. So let's talk about the evolution of smart trainers, uh, and and basically, how are they different today than they were, you know, five years ago when we st- first started seeing them? Well, for one, they work better. Uh, like any new technology, we saw some of the first ones off the box had uh, a bit of stumble, uh, and we're still seeing that a bit. Um, but uh, but let's, let's break. There's two types of smart trainers. Uh, there's the what we call direct drive, where you remove your rear wheel and you mount the bike on the on the trainer. Uh, there's a cassette on the trainer. Uh, that's the most stable uh, experience. You don't have to you know spend ten minutes warming up your tire so you can get uh, a good power analysis. Uh, it's also the the more expensive option. Uh, and then you've got the wheel on model, which looks much more like what we think of as the traditional trainer, where you clamp the bike in at the axle, the tire uh, rubs on a roller, and that gives the resistance, and that's the interaction. Uh, those, those work fine, and um, can be, once the tire's warmed up and you do a spin-down calibration, they can be accurate enough to train with. Um, most people's preference is for the direct drive because it's simpler, uh, just less fussing around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neat things that we've seen, you know, to your point about what's changed. Um, Tax is probably leading the charge with cool new technology. Uh, their Neo 2T uh, has a, a host of fun features. Uh, for instance, there is a surface replication feature. So Zwift has a number of courses. Some go over gravel or cobbles or uh, uh, wooden bridges. And when riding in the game, you get the auditory feedback of that, uh, with taxes hiring units, the uh, motor has little micro stutters that, in some ways, replicate the sensation of, of hitting a bunch of uh, small bumps in rapid succession, and it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, does that fundamentally change how you train? No, but if if the idea is to be uh, be engaged and have fun, things like that do do add to mm-hmm. uh, the fun factor. Yeah. I just have my daughter stand in front of me and throw little bits of sand at me, and sure, that replicates sure, a gravel ride. Yeah, <laughs> it's the analog version. So besides besides the ride field, besides connecting to the virtual environment of Zwift, um, you know, you talked a little bit about you know little upgrades like the the tax uh, feature of, of being able to feel the road, uh, the virtual road. Um, what other features really make a smart trainer worth the investment? I mean, you know, when you when you pair your trainer, for example, to Zwift. There's a pairing screen, and you see all sorts of different uh, things you can pair, your heart rate monitor, your trainer itself. And then when you start, you, you see actual data. Um, is that an advantage that smart trainers have over, quote-unquote, dumb trainers? Uh, is, that, is that something that you've used in your training? Sure, yeah. There's a few things there. So I mean, let's just talk about the, the elements needed for the Zwift interaction or the, just the, the digital training interaction, whether you're using... Full gas, which has uh, live video, or st- uh, not live video, but actual video, mm-hmm. uh, or trainer road, which is just like a, uh, a old school boxing gym where it's just just intervals. Right. 
what you need to have is a source of power measurement uh, that can be done by a power meter you already have on your bike, or that can be done with a smart trainer, which measures the power, uh, or that can be done with uh, what I call like an educated guesstimate. Uh, so if you have an old school trainer and a speed cadence sensor, once you get the thing warmed up, you can do a spin down calibration that will, uh, the end result of which is an approximation of your power output at a given speed. So you, you don't need to have all the bells and whistles, um, but the smart trainer, uh, having a built-in power meter to simplify the process and makes it a lot more accurate. For people who are already dorking out with power and looking at their training peaks accounts regularly and, and very worried about a 1% variance in, in whether their stages power meter matches up with the trainer, um, you can use the power meter you already have as your power source so you're always getting the same data whether you're inside or outside and then use the smart trainer to just drive the resistance right so there's a lot of different ways you can play with it mm -hmm. um at my house my i've got two setups now for zwift uh one is a set of rollers that's shoot probably 30 40 years old mm -hmm. and a bike with a power meter on it and so there's no controlled resistance right. uh, it's not smart it's a very like it's writer it's yeah, a, it's dumb, dumb. <laughs> uh, but it, it, you can get her done yeah. uh, because that as long as there's that source of power then that's the interaction with the game mm -hmm. so that brings up an important point about how Zwift in, in particular works uh, this was sort of a, 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 a stat that the real nerds of us among us would, would know about back in the day but really didn't hit the mainstream until Zwift kind of came along and started using this as its primary uh, uh, measurement, and that's watts per kilo. Can you talk about what that means uh, and why it's so important to your Zwift experience? Sure. So there's there's two things that uh, that are at play when riding the bike IRL in real life. <laughs> watts per kilo and watts per CDA. So there's the power you're putting out and combating that uh, are gravity and aerodynamic resistance. Also, you can you know, get into the minutia of rolling resistance in your drivetrain, and et cetera. Uh, but basically, it's the wind and hills that mm -hmm. you're fighting against. Mm -hmm. in, in, in order to have the interactivity with not just a workout, but with other riders, you need to have some common frame of reference. So in Zwift, it's how much power you're putting out uh, versus how much you weigh. And there is also you know, a watts per CDA calculation in, in Zwift. Um, it's, I, I continue to be impressed. I mean, you can find nits to pick w with the game as you can with anything, um, but I am generally impressed at how well uh, the game is able to take all these points of real-time data from riders around the globe and make it work so you can ride in a peloton. You can maybe not do a, a straight-up pace line, mm -hmm. um, but when you go to the front, it gets harder, mm -hmm. and when you get, sit in the back of the group, it's easier. Uh, so that's the, the watts per CDA coming into effect. Which is your drag coefficient, if you don't yes. know what CDA means. Uh, that's basically how much drag you're producing when you're riding in the game. I guess it has a slightly different uh, calculation because you're, you're not producing any drag. You're in real, real life. You're, you're virtual. But the basic, the basic idea is the coefficient of drag is how much drag you're producing, your body, your bike, all those com combined things. Uh, so you're basically fighting that as you're riding. Yes. And that's based on your height and your weight. Uh, Zwift doesn't know how arrow you are, uh, so it just takes a, a ballpark figure, and that's mm -hmm. something that I make cracks about. And that in the real world, you, there's not a lot you can do about your watts per kilo, right. but when you're desperate, you can change your watts per CDA by getting low, by tucking in behind mm -hmm. other riders. So. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the, the watts per CDA is, is ballpark for Zwift, and then watts per kilo, you know, it, another uh, way we're familiar with this is by talking about Tour de France riders, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, looking at these magic numbers of like just absurdly high to uh, hobbyists like ourselves, like a six watts per kilo. Right. If you can sustain that on a climb, uh, you're a contender. I cannot. <laughs> very, very few of us can. And uh, I mean, that's one of the, the the humbling and amusing things about Zwift is having that. Uh, real-time number in front of you and then having the context of what the pros are doing mm -hmm. and, and you realize the vast chasm that oh, yeah. lies between us. Yeah. I'm looking way, 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 way up at that. <laughs>
So yeah, so so now now we understand essentially how Zwift is is calculating you as a rider. I mean, it's basically distilling you down into data, uh, and it uses your smart trainer to do that, uh, and, and also the information that you input into the system, and that that basically relies partially on you being honest, um, you know, weighing yourself and and being honest about that. So there is some Zwift cheating. We're not going to talk about that right now, but. I, I think there's a, there's a whole host of undiscovered world tour talent out there. On yeah, Swift. yeah. I have my world tour moments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, so now we've got, you know, the smart trainer is sort of the, uh, the, the linchpin to all this, the, the, uh, the focal point. But there's other things, uh, peripheral devices. I mean, we, we're at a point now where people are even using the term ecosystem to define all of the peripheral devices uh, that can go into creating a, 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 an indoor cycling experience. And it goes well beyond the, the trainer itself. What's your experience with some of those things? And I, and I can speak to this as well, but uh, what, what's been your experience with some of those peripheral devices? What are useful to you and what, which ones uh, have, been, have, have provided you with something that has actually made the ride better, made the sure, sure more interesting? Well, two, two points to that. Uh, one is the bike-specific gear. Uh, and the second is the communication. So for bike-specific gear, it's, it's interesting. We've almost come full circle from um, making, maybe not full circle, but we've come from a point where we saw, as cyclists being snoots, saw spin bikes as, as a different category of thing. Like, we are cyclists. We ride bikes. We put our bikes on trainers. Mm-hmm. And gym people ride spin bikes, and yeah. they are different from us. Yeah. And now we've come to a point where... Uh, the concept of a dedicated bike seems pretty cool. So, you know, we start with a trainer. Uh, we went from you take your bike with both wheels mounted on a trainer. The evolution was a direct drive trainer where you take one wheel off and you're having the interactivity there at the rear wheel. And then we saw things like the, uh, the Wahoo Kicker Climb where you remove your front wheel, you mount the fork on this column, and it moves up and down, uh, giving you the vertical simulation of climbs and descents. So now both wheels are off the bike. Uh, And then the next evolution is the so-called smart bike. Uh, We've seen models from Wahoo, from Stages, uh, from SRM, and then Tax was the first out of the gate. I rode that one a couple years ago at Eurobike, where it looks a lot more similar to a spin bike than a bicycle because it's it's a complete unit. and like it brings with it a, a number of the, the sort of common sense features of a spin bike uh, designed for use by a number of people where um, you know, it can easily adjust the height of the fore after the saddle, height fore after the handlebars. Um, but with a cyclist um, geometry in mind, so it's not so upright as a, as mm-hmm. a uh, dedicated gym bike. Right. Um, I've, you know, I mentioned earlier, I've got two setups at the house. One is a set of old rollers. Another is a spin bike, not a smart bike, but just a, a stages spin bike that the, the kind folks there loaned me after I'd broke my pelvis a few months ago and was coming back. Go. Way to go. Yeah, very smooth. Yep. Um, haven't fallen off the spin bike yet, but there's still time. <laughs> there's still time. <laughs> Come to appreciate the spin bike in that it's not a nice high-end road bike. So when I'm sweating and slobbering all over the thing, I'm not rusting out bolts or even worrying about that. Or having to pull the bike off and on for when I want to ride it outside or inside, just one dedicated mm-hmm. machine that, mm-hmm. that if the object is to do a lot of riding inside with minimal fuss, a dedicated bike seems to be a great solution. Sure, sure. So the, yeah, the smart bike is, a, is taking that the next step further. Um, many of the bikes have shifters, so you can replicate the feeling of shifting. Uh, the Wahoo Kicker bike, uh, similar to its climb counterpoint, um, our companion, uh, it will tip fore and aft as you go up and down climbs, or you can manually set that. Um, I know that's a point some of my British friends have appreciated. Is a way that you can uh, replicate the climbing muscles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, inside. Say, like you live in a flat place, but you're training to go do a big ride in the mountains. That's a way to do it. You know, the old school version was you'd take some encyclopedias or books and tuck them under your front wheel. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, then the, the second point of uh, evolution, evolutionary things that make the whole experience more fun. Uh, for me, it's the the interaction with other riders is really what has been the game changer. Uh, so as as compared to doing an effort staring at a at a white wall, Graham Obery style, 
I can only do that about once a year for about five minutes, right. and then I question my life choices. <laughs> Riding outside, I mean, one of the things I love about group rides is you end up, I mean, one, it feels like a game. You're mm-hmm. playing. You're mm-hmm. playing a sport. Uh, you're not just exercising. The exercise is a benefit you get because of that. Um, the, a very similar thing is happening with Zwift. Is you can jump on at you know 7 p.m. on a Thursday, and there's a whole host of like-minded nerds in there uh, for the same reasons, and you can, you're chasing them. They're uh, they're chasing you, um, and the, the the game makes that a, re, uh, a, a, a reality. That wasn't a reality right, right. <laughs> five years ago. Yeah. Um, you can actually so, ride with your friends without having to lug all your crap over to your buddy's house, which yes. is kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so just simple things like, or maybe simple for the user. I'm sure not simple to coordinate on the tech side. Right. But, you know, Zwift has things like meetups now, so you can you know, set a time to ride with your buddies and be put at the same virtual spot mm-hmm. in the Zwift world, and you can ride together. Yeah. Uh, in addition to, you know, they've got a whole roving calendar of races and group rides mm-hmm. and group workouts where you can meet up. Mm-hmm. Uh, then being able to chat with people mm-hmm. is something that I've, found fun mm-hmm. um, you know just random shooting the breeze conversations you'd have on the bike but they're with people in South Korea yeah. or Australia or Belgium um, and so how I, do you how do you do that so sure. th- that's always and this, this really is a testament to how thick I can be um, the first probably I would say the first whole season that I used Zwift I had no idea how to send messages to people. <laughs> they would be messaging me. I'm like, I don't know how to respond. Yeah. You know, yeah, and you're just yelling at the screen. Yeah, maybe if I yell louder at the screen. You know, how do you send those messages? Sure, two ways. Uh, if you're writing with a laptop, which is what I use, same, same. Yeah. Press M, uh-huh. and a little keyboard pops up oh, on screen. I didn't even know that. Type away. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Type away. Hit return. That pops up. Huh. Uh, that works best if you're not on rollers. Okay. Yeah, you don't want to fall off. The second way and the, the easiest way and one that works if regardless of your interface, like if you're using Apple TV or uh, something else, is Zwift has a companion app. Mm-hmm. So there's the main app, which is called Zwift, which is orange. Yep. There's the companion app, which is a baby blue. Yep. Uh, and that guy, once you're writing, um, has a message option there mm-hmm. uh, so you can either thumb away uh, a message or just do the talk to text mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which can often have comical results as yes, we yes, all know yes. <laughs> but that's an easier way to, yeah, to do if you're sweating it. and slipping and yeah. uh, especially if you're riding on rollers instead mm-hmm. of a, a fixed bike right so right. those are your, those are your two options uh, there's also you know Zwift is interesting because it's this uh, uh, in some ways a, a, a mix up of gamer worlds so you've got hardcore gamer nerds with all their technology and then um, and then you've got bike nerds mm-hmm. with their weird ways mm. and the Venn diagram overlap of the two mm. you get some some serious dorkiness isn't that just like the penultimate dorkiness of, of all humanity right there <laughs> it must be the Venn diagram <laughs> and and they know things these yeah. people know things yeah. uh, so using apps like discord yeah. uh, which is a communication mm-hmm. app um, so you're not having to type away. You can just chat with people. Chat, yeah. That the downside to that is a, <sighs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <sighs> which uh, could be improved. Yes. So that's what I'm most excited about uh, coming down the pike. Is mm-hmm. I don't know what the solution is, but I'm sure folks much smarter than me are already mm-hmm. working on uh, amplifying and improving that method of uh, just inner writer communication mm-hmm. that doesn't involve. You know, typing on a keyboard while you're sweating or right. <sighs> <sighs> hearing a lot of that. Uh, one of the one of the things I want to step back and talk about is is the hardware end of that ecosystem. And because I I was one of the first when the Wahoo Kicker came out to be like that is so dumb. And then as soon as that came out, then there was the Wahoo the Headwind, which is a fi- basically a really expensive fan. And I was like, that is even dumber. And now I use them both religiously. Uh, <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah, shocking that. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about what is... You know, so, for example, like last night, I rode on Zwift for an hour, about 20 miles. Um, and I think the longest I've ever ridden on Zwift at this point was something... It was 40 miles. I can't... It was like two, two and a half hours, something, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, before Smart Trainers came along, I think the longest trainer ride I ever did was like a half hour. Um, 
And I think a lot of that does go back to the experience uh, that I particularly have with uh, with the, the hardware setup that I have. Mm-hmm. And and to give you a sense of, so my, my setup is in my basement, um, creepy to start with, um, but it's it's got the kicker uh, trainer, yep. dr- direct drive, and then on the front I've got the kicker climb, and then in front of that I've got the kicker head, or excuse me, the headwind, and I've got a, a small table for my laptop uh, where I can plug everything in and uh, and I can reach my computer very easily. And when when the climb came out and the headwind came out, you know I saw it as as another stupid accessory that was overpriced that you don't need to to get on your trainer. And that still stands. You could very much go in, into your basement, set up a trainer, and you're done. But I would never, ever, ever ride two hours on a trainer without these things because, in particular, the headwind, uh, which yeah, ex- I... Explain how that works, I think. The he- yeah, I'm going to... That's, that's, that's the one that really gets me. So, you know, yes, it's a fan. It's a very fancy, expensive fan. However, you can pair it to your heart rate monitor. And so when you're starting out, on your trainer and your heart rate's low, it's not blasting you in the face with this huge wind. Uh, and then as you start to work harder and your heart rate goes up, it automatically adjusts so that you're getting more wind. Uh, I didn't think I w- needed that. I totally do, you know, because I used to start with just, you know, a sweatshirt on and be freezing because the, the, the fan was blowing in my face, but I didn't want to get off to adjust it manually. Right. Um, and then as, as you go along, you're peeling layers off and throwing them and, you know, it was just ridiculous. Um, the headwind automatically adjusts, and it's fantastic. Uh, it, and it's one less thing to distract me from what I'm actually doing, which is trying to work out, right, and trying to have fun. I'm not sitting there going, oh, God, I'm so cold, or oh, God, I'm so <laughs> so hot. Uh, it's fantastic. And you can also pair it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, mm. you're off the show. I don't need this anymore. <laughs> um, you can also pair it in such a way that it, it responds to your speed. So if you want to get that that realistic feel of zipping down at 50 miles an hour down at the scent, the fan will blast you in the face with that. And then when you're climbing and you're you're you know you're not going very fast, you can you can grit it out and sweat off as much you know water weight as you want. It's it's really it's quite something. Uh, and yes, it's expensive. Yes, it's a fan. Honestly, I, I don't want to ride the trainer without it anymore. The climb, the kicker climb, I. I I, I enjoy, I think I could do without it, but I think it's cool. Uh, and what that does is it raises and lowers your front end, the front end of your bike as you're climbing or, or descending uh, in Zwift, so it reacts to the terrain. Um, it's a neat feature. It kind of makes things more interesting, uh, and it it actually is, is great for your form when you're climbing because it does raise your, your front end up. Uh, so it's a more natural climbing position. You're not putting as much weight on your, your arms and your neck and your shoulders um, in, in a way that's unnatural. I mean, quite frankly, if you're climbing out of the saddle in real life, uh, you're not putting those same strains on, the, on your upper body that you would be if, if you're on a trainer trying to climb, but you know your bike is still low as if you were on a flat. So it's, it's pretty neat in that regard. Um, could I do without it? Yeah, I think I could. But it, you know, now that I have it, <laughs> I don't know that I could go back. Uh, so you know, those, those ecosystem-type products... And there's, there's, there's so many of them, uh, not just Wahoo. I mean, there's so many others that are coming out with really fantastic uh, peripheral devices. Um, but it just really, it, it complements the ride in such a way that you actually want to be riding indoors. Will it ever substitute riding outdoors for me? No, absolutely not. But, you know, on a day like today where it's, you know, it's been 20 degrees and, and there's a, you know, foot and a half of snow on the ground, you know, I don't have to think, oh, gosh, I got to get home and go and sit on the train. Oh, it's awful. But, it, you know, now it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go on the trainer, and, and it's no big deal. So to me, those, those creating that ecosystem, while it's a big investment, uh, really does enhance the ride. And I think that's partly why we're seeing uh, the resurgence of the dedicated uh, trainer bike, you know, like this, this new kicker bike and the, and the watt bike and things like that. Because I think, you know, you're starting to see all of those peripheral devices integrated into one system. And like you said, then you don't have to tie up your own bike into that ecosystem. If someone was just starting out wanting to get in- involved, what would you recommend as the ideal starter package? Specifically for a smart bu- a smart trainer? I mean, obviously you need a smart trainer. Uh, I would recommend a direct drive. Uh, 
if for no other reason than I have used so many others where you you keep your wheel on and not only does it destroy your tire, um, but it also doesn't, it's not quite as accurate in terms of the power output, I mean, or the power readings, I should say. Um, so, you know, spend a couple extra, a uh, couple extra bucks, get that direct drive. Um, really, that's, that's all you need to get started, and that in a Zwift account. Um, it's as simple as that, really. Uh, I would invest in a heart rate strap, for sure. Uh, that really, for me, helped clarify the kind of efforts that I was doing. And if you're not a heart rate strap kind of person, uh, I know I've been pumping Wahoo here, and, and I swear it's, <laughs> it's incidental, but that just happens to be what I use. Um, Wahoo actually makes a wonderful heart rate strap that goes on your arm rather than around your chest. I hate chest-mounted heart rate straps. hate them. So I love the one that goes on my arm. Uh, the ticker. It's called the ticker fit. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Gets it off your, your chest. Uh, it's an optical heart rate monitor. Uh, pairs up really quickly. I, I love it. So if I were you and you're trying to get into it, get yourself a good quality direct drive trainer. There are many out there. Uh, the Cyclops uh, trainers have been wonderful for me. Wahoo, of course. Uh, Tax, I haven't had the opportunity to use, but they're, they're also wonderful from what I understand. Um, and, and a heart rate monitor. I think that could, that would be enough to get you started. What about you? What would you recommend? I guess it depends like anything on where people are. Uh, if someone already has, you know, one, one question I often get is, should I get a power meter and a dumb trainer? Or, you know, you know borrow a friend's right. dumb trainer that they no longer use now that they've bought a smart trainer? Or should I just buy a smart trainer? Um, I could argue either case. Um, one interesting thing that uh, we've heard in talking to folks at shops like Excel Sports here in Boulder is that often people buy a, who have bought a smart trainer uh, for one winter will come into the shop in the spring and one power meter for their bike. So they hadn't been using power before or they had a power meter, but they weren't really paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. But then after a few months on Zwift where that's the whole game, right. like, aha, I now understand what this is for. And, right. um, and so if you've only got one set fund, um, in some ways it might be, and you don't have a power meter, uh, I would actually recommend you start there um, because then you can have that experience inside and outside. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the interactivity at the hub uh, is cool, um, but it's the, the power is the actual interaction. Um, so I, I guess I would rather have um, a, a setup where I've got actual power um, and no smart resistance mm -hmm. uh, than smart resistance with uh, power that doesn't add up to my experience outside, mm -hmm. if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, so, so basically Dan, Dan Smart, Ben Dumb, right? Correct. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, one other thing that I'd like to mention is a piece of hardware where that I think has been really cool is a, is a really uh, fairly new gadget that I actually have also had sort of a love-hate relationship with, and it's uh, the Leomo mm. uh, the Type S is the new one, and uh, I've used both the Type S and the Type R, which was the first uh, unit they produced. Uh, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, this is essentially, a, okay, so Ben's raising his hand. Uh, Dan Smart, Ben, um, remember that. Um, <laughs> the Leomo, the Type S, uh, is a computer that uh, essentially functions as, you know, your, your GPS cycling unit, uh, as a la Wahoo Element or, or Garmin. Uh, but it also has uh, more analytics to it. And so what you do is you mount these, uh, these small sensors at various places on your body, and it can track how your body's moving. It's real-time um, body analytics, essentially. So something similar to like a retool 3D motion capture where you've got points on your body, yep. and that can be recorded and then later right. analyzed. And this is sort of a user-friendly, on-the-road system. Uh, and so Leomo started with the Type R, which is which was not a very easy unit to use, but it was very useful for tracking body motion. So if you were recovering from injury, per se, for, for example, uh, you could see how your you know your right hip isn't where it's supposed to be, or you're 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 not getting as much, you're getting a dead spot in your your right you know your right pedal stroke. Uh, it was really useful for that. Uh, the Type S is a more user friendly version of that Type R. Uh, it's really, it's, it's a beautiful unit. It, it, it looks like a, a phone, essentially, and as a, as a matter of fact, you can use it as a phone. You can swap your, uh, your, your, uh, your card into it and your SIM card, and it's a phone. 
so really, uh, really neat. Um, I've been using it on the trainer uh, primarily uh, in the last few weeks. And part of the reason I wanted to do that was because I could feel something wrong with my pedal stroke. My right foot, I had this tendency to sort of shift my foot constantly. It was just never comfortable. And as it turns out, that discomfort correlated into a huge dead spot uh, on my right side. And I didn't discover that until I, I used this Leoma device. I put the sensors uh, on my feet and on my knees, and I started riding. And I said, well, oh, my gosh, my, I'm, I'm, I'm pedaling a perfect circle with my left, but my right is, is just crazy. Interesting. Yeah. So based on that information, and here's, here's the danger of this particular tool, uh, based on that information, I was like, oh, okay, well, clearly there's something wrong with my right foot. Let me play with my position and see if I can figure out what it is. So I played with my cleat position, didn't do anything. Rabbit hole. Exactly. Uh, and But what I did discover, and, and this was going back to last year when I injured myself and I was going to physical therapy, and um, the physical therapist told me basically that uh, I had a dysfunctional butt. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even joking. Uh, I have a dysfunctional butt. My, my right side, the muscles just weren't firing. Thoughts and, and prayers, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Hashtag Dan's butt. Um, so the the problem was those muscles weren't firing, so my hips were rotated, and as a result, I was not articulating my leg as much as I should. So I was uh, it was sort of this aha moment halfway through my first ride with this device, and I said, "Oh, okay, all I need to do is just thrust my hip, my right hip forward," and lo and behold, that almost completely eliminated the dead spot, and I was pedaling circles again. It was, and I could see this happening in real time. The the Leomo device has this little graphic where you can see it in real time, uh, what your dead spot score is. It, it was incredible. But the next day, I was in agony <laughs> because I had, I had all this sciatic pain all of a sudden. So this is a, a double-edged sword. It's, it's a really neat tool for identifying potential problems with your pedal stroke and your body position, uh, but it can also lead to tinkering where you should not be tinkering, especially without the the uh, the guidance of a uh, a coach. Yes, I mean, I'm skeptical about products like this, not because of their functionality, but as you mentioned, it's like what do you do with that information? The interpretation. And yeah. it seems like you know what was key in your situation was not that you recognized or were aware of the, the fact that there was a problem, or you alerted to the fact that there was a problem. It's okay, what caused that, and what do I do about that? Right. right. And so that way, I mean, it's. I see this as similar to like old school things like cleat shims, mm -hmm. where for whatever reasons you've decided that something's off, right. and you're going right. to take it upon yourself to biohack yourself. Right, right. Um, and unless you happen to be a coach or you know someone with a, a background in this, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what are you doing, man? Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. I've certainly done that to myself a number of different ways. Totally. And it seems like the the key thing is going to a specialist, getting a bike fit yep. from someone uh, who knows what they're doing. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's that's where I'm I'm yeah. skeptical. Not that there's not valuable information there, right? But what are we as lay people to do with this right. information? Right. Yeah, and you know, and I think the my reaction, you know, as somebody who's a DIY kind of guy, you know, I've been a mechanic for a long time. My my inclination was to like I'll fix this myself. Yep. But my my fixing it was akin to like oh there's smoke coming from the hood of my car I'm gonna go smash it with a hammer um, that's not, not not super effective uh, so I ended up hurting myself more um, but you know but for me because I knew there was a path to follow I had other information you know I I, I thought I could reasonably make those adjustments what I learned the hard way is that yes I can make those adjustments and eliminate that dead spot score. But what is that doing to my physiology, to my body, what it, my movement, and, and what muscles are, are now picking up the slack for the ones that haven't been used in God knows how long? So with a tool like this, which I, which I really enjoy and has actually really improved my, my, uh, my, my, pedaling, my pedal stroke and, and a lot of my, my power output, I wouldn't make those changes again without first consulting somebody who uh, either is an expert in fit or in biomechanics or preferably both. Uh, so while this is a tool that I think is cool, and I think it's probably got a lot of future applications, I think you should be very cautious with it. Um, and I think that's, that's, to, that's a, a, a point to bring up with anything that analyzes how your body moves, how your body operates, even something as simple as heart rate monitors. You know, uh, yes, get it for the information, 
and track the information. You can interpret the information if you prefer. Don't make changes based on those until you talk to somebody who knows what the heck they're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, would be my, my final recommendation on that. Uh, so I, I, I guess now we've talked a lot about Wahoo. We've talked a lot about Zwift. What are some of the other names on your radar that, uh, in terms of hardware that uh, have been in particular? And we talked about tax as well. Uh, what, are, what are some other names on the hardware radar that you've, in, you've found have, have been worth your time in the last? Because I see you in the back here. We have a big warehouse. Uh, and every, every once in a while I go back there and uh, Ben scares the hell out of me because he's, he's back there huffing and puffing on the trainer. Uh, and is always a different trainer. Uh, which ones? Which ones have you liked? Which ones? And what's the difference between them? I mean, what are some of the things that people should look for when they're shopping for one of these? Sure, I think there's three main players now uh, that I have confidence in. There's Wahoo, there's Tax, which is now owned by Garmin, and uh, because of this, those of us in North America have a lot uh, better access to those products that, than we did a couple years ago. Uh, and there's Saris, the American company up in Wisconsin. Um, there's a few other brands making trainers, uh, but those are the three that I feel good recommending, uh, both for the level of functionality of the product and also, and this is key, uh, their level of customer service because these things can fail just like anything. I remember you know, Nick Legan, a friend who was a longtime mechanic, um, talking about, I was, I was pestering him for product advice, like should I get this or get that or get this or get that, and I wanted something like that is never ever going to fail and will always work perfectly. And he's like, that thing, it doesn't exist. Doesn't like exist, anything yeah. can fail when pushed hard enough. Like, mm -hmm. um, especially when you're trying to make, uh, you, know, you know, pushing things to the edge of what's the latest technology, what's the highest performing, the lightest, et cetera, et cetera, right, et cetera. Right. Um, so Wahoo products have failed. Mm -hmm. Sarish products have failed. Uh, tax products have failed. Uh, not across the board, but if you know if you could go on the internet and do some research, you can quickly find some grumpy people. Someone's typing in all caps about one of these traders, yeah. Yes, in shouty voice. Yeah. Um, but all three of these companies, I believe, uh, have done a good job in rectifying the situation and in swapping out product that uh, that poops out for uh, a new model. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. Just to answer your question, your question, tax Wahoo, uh, Saris. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to see, like, there's Be Cool, uh, Spanish-based company, um, was trying to do for years uh, play both on the hardware side and the software side. And I think it's worth noting that, you know, Zwift was not the first to, to they right. didn't pioneer this concept. Right, right. They just did it better and with a lot more resources mm -hmm. than anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's even a software called Tour de Giro that was, like, one or two engineers in their evening hours were cobbling together this sort of interactive game and the the graphics were like, you know, Oregon Trail circa, <laughs> you know, 1842. Um, but, but yeah, the Zwift didn't it and they just improved it. Right. Um, Zwift hitherto has not messed at all with the hardware side of things. Um, that lets them work with all these different companies, uh, but it also lets them focus on what they do best. Right. Uh, we just recently saw Be Cool give up the game uh, on the hardware side to focus just on software. Um, and I think that's the right thing to do. I think sometimes you see companies trying to, to be all things to all mm -hmm. people, and it's mm -hmm. better if they just focus on right. on certain things. Right. Do you see a viable competitor to Zwift uh, on the horizon? Right now, heck no. no. They own it. Yeah. It's game over. Right. You know, the, another thing they did not invent uh, is you know interactive intervals. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if Trainer Road invented that, but they held that title for a few years mm -hmm. of um, expertly crafted workouts that you could either do a la carte or as part of a plan, which mm -hmm. any coach will tell you is a lot more effective. Mm -hmm. um, Trainer Road did that very, very well, uh, and Zwift has incorporated that style of workouts mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. their game. Um, which makes it a very uh, tough proposition if you're at Trainer Road um, trying to compete against Swift. Right, right. So Zwift is sort of the uh, the king of the king of the hill right now. Uh, we know now uh, what hardware you need to get started and what things you can invest in to get uh, the full experience. And now we know what's on the horizon, which is which appears to be uh, dedicated indoor training bikes. Um, 
I guess the last thing we should talk about is how serious this has become as its own sport, which is another 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 great opportunity for me to eat some crow here. I was one of the ones that was like, oh, racing will never work. Nobody yeah. will ever watch racing on Zwift. That's so dumb. And here we are, and it's becoming a thing. Um, let's talk just briefly about where we are in that regard in terms of uh, what is Zwift racing? Why is it a big deal? Why should we be, be taking note of this? Sure. Uh, two points. There's the participatory element, which I think is huge, and that's uh, ultimately I think what Zwift is after, and that's what I'm most interested in. Um, and then there's the pro element, uh, which would be much more akin to typical pro sports, where we, the people, watch those who are exceptional at it uh, go head-to-head. Mm-hmm. On any given day in Zwift, there are multiple races where you can jump in and uh, get in where you fit in on a, um, usually you know up to four different categories based on that watts per kilo. Um, so if you get in the right space, you're not getting blown out, but you're also being thoroughly challenged and you can do that at any time and it all that costs you is your $15 monthly fee mm-hmm. uh, even some of the best biggest communities biggest cycling communities in the US like you know say Oregon which has races going most days during the week they, they, you can't compete with that right I'm sure it's a, it's a different experience but just the, the accessibility and the always on is is tremendous and it's it's bonafide competition mm-hmm. um there's a fun instagram account that i follow there's all these different meme accounts like cat three memes mm-hmm. and feed zone news memes and the group Heto thrill house cycling love these very yeah, much yeah. there's a there's a 40 plus memes oh jeez you know, it fits my uh <laughs> my fatty masters demographic yeah uh, had a good uh dig at this phenomenon and it was with a uh What's the, the the horse, the wooden horse that you push up and it's... Trojan horse? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Need some more well, coffee. You're already slipping, man. <laughs> <laughs> the Trojan horse was was uh, virtual racing is here to supplement actual racing. Mm-hmm. But then inside the Trojan horse was like, no, we're here to replace. Replace, actually. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think there's there's certainly some truth to that. If, yeah. you, if you're getting your competitive itch scratched mm-hmm. in your basement on your own time, mm-hmm. uh, then maybe driving four hours to... To, 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 to pay... Do to yeah. A race and a, yeah, might might not uh, hold as much yeah. appeal. And I mean, far, I, I love actual racing. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to say we should go away from that. Right. But just looking at the numbers, it's apparent mm-hmm. that uh, the Zwift model has appeal. Yeah, yeah. Then for the professional racing, I think that is fascinating in that we get to distill the competition down to the physiological aspects. Um, you could argue that, yeah, that takes away some of the or much of what makes bike racing bike racing. Yeah, the nuance and all that. Um, yeah, the, the handling, amongst mm-hmm. other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, d- you know the short events, so it's not like you're sitting there watching a seven hours with right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, You're just getting it chopped down to, to the spiciest bits. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's fun seeing some of these events in person uh, because unlike most racing where many of us are watching it on some scuzzy pirated feed where you can barely see who's in there much right, less right. what's going on be able to see uh these athletes faces with no helmet on no sunglasses on is given her yeah um it's almost a more personal feel absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. um and then being able to see what numbers they're producing I and mean, we've often heard people lament that oh bike racing would take off on tv if only we could have a nascar like interface where right. you could see that what the, you know rpms and power and mm-hmm. all this so and and we've we've seen a little bit of that in uh, in live racing, but mm-hmm. but seeing all the data right there, yeah, I think it's cool. Well, and the, one of the other things to mention here is that there's actual opportunity to go pro now based on your Zwift performance. There's there's been competitions uh, for the last couple of years where you know you you adhere to a, a set of criteria for your your Zwift daily uh, activities. And you can actually get to a point uh, through process of elimination, you know, based on race results and things like that, you can land yourself a pro contract. Sure. Zwift Academy is now, what's its third year? Third year, yeah. Um, yeah, well, Villainous will be covering that uh, coming up here uh, as the three finalists for the SRAM Canyon team mm-hmm. um, compete for one spot. Uh, and the team 
that was up until this year known as Dimension Data uh, has a spot for its U23 team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first year they um, had a woman uh, get a spot on Tram Canyon. Mm-hmm. Exceptional power. Uh, got thrown in the deep end of European racing. Uh, and turns out racing on wet cobblestones in the rain, um, getting you know elbows in your eyes, a mm-hmm. different experience than Zwift racing in the comfort of your home. Hmm. Um, Shocking that. So they've t- Swift Academy has tweaked the formula for selection in that, yes, high power output is vital, uh, but that's not the only uh, criteria at which they're looking. So Right, right. You know, there were, the, the three finalists will be out there training with the teams on the roads, and I'm, I'm curious to see yeah, what exactly that looks like. If you're a team manager, what is your, whistlet, your wish list of things? If, mm-hmm. Okay, you've got your, your, uh, you know, your power... Um, benchmarks, but then how do you quantify or qualify what it is that makes a pro rider? Right. You know, Mark Cavendish was always a, a fun example that people would point to. If, like, you put him on an ergometer and, you know, have him do some tests in a lab, and his numbers were okay. Like, certainly better than any sure. hobbyist, but yeah. as far as, like, world tour level talent, right. it wasn't like, wow, this guy is incredible. He's the right. best we've ever seen. It was like, meh. But you put Homeboy on a bike at the end of a race, and he can do phenomenal things. Well, he's fearless, too. I think that has a lot to do with it. And he can, you know, despite the jokes we make, he can handle a bike. And I think that's so, so important and so overlooked. I mean, when you're on a stationary trainer, there is no gauging that at all. Um, But it is an intriguing uh, entry. Absolutely, absolutely. And then I guess, you know, the other side of that, of not having to handle your bike, you know, I've heard a number of people, including some professionals, say they're able to do their most intense workouts more thoroughly because they can just totally sell out mm-hmm. and get almost dizzy and not be worrying about, am I going to get run over by a car or right. hit a stop sign or whatever. Right, right. Um, so having that all-out level applied to racing, mm-hmm. uh, you could argue you can see performances, physiological performances that you might not be able to see right. in real life. Yeah. I'm not going to stop watching pro racing outside, but I'm very interested to watch more Zwift racing. Right. I'm not quite at spectator level of indoor racing, but <laughs> I can see it is something we'll have to pay attention to in the near future. For sure. All right, Ben Delaney, thanks for uh, making me sound like less of a dummy today. Uh, happy to have you as the new co-host. My pleasure. And for those of you who are listening, first of all, thank you for listening. And if you have questions or comments about this podcast or any other podcast in the Velo News ecosystem, please do tweet at me at Brown Tie Dan. Uh, that's also my Instagram handle. You can find Ben Delaney on Instagram or on Strava at Ben underscore Delaney. Uh, And like I said, shout at us with questions, comments, or even uh, recommendations for topics you'd like for us to cover in the future. Ben, goodbye. So long. And in the meantime, folks, see you on Zwift.